All right, well, tonight we are going to be in the book of Judges. We'll be in chapter 16, verses 23 through 31. We have an outline on the back of your bulletin as well, in case you want to follow along there. Our passage can be found on page 216 in the Pew Bible. We'll be reading Judges chapter 16, verses 23 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. But they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entered. The, he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on, on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So when I was a kid, my grandfather gave me a book. Uh, called entitled Call of the Wild by Jack London. Man, you've heard of Jack London, no doubt. And, uh, and, and he was a very intense man uh, in his own personal life and philosophy. One of his most famous quotes that he, did, that he defined his life by is he said, I would rather be ashes than dust. He would rather live a fiery life and burn up than to quietly dissemble into the ground through inactivity. And that he did. He, uh, it would, and it would seem that Samson was a precursor to Jack London, as he seemed to live his life by the same motto. Now we need to clear up our understanding of Samson as we close out our study of his life in the book of Judges. And why is that? Well, because last week we noted how Samson in his fall was the very picture of Israel. Israel thought that she could essentially disobey the commands of God and play with sin and temptation with barely a semblance of obedience or honor given to God and that that would be enough. Uh, And and as I wrote that, I wrote down, am I talking about Israel or am I talking about many in the church today? Many people in in the Christian nation who would call themselves Christians who would say, I am, I am a Christian. So, what is, so what's the answer here? How, do we, how are we supposed to understand Samson here? Well, Samson is the problem 
Samson is also the solution in this story. Uh, But something is different here. Because whereas previously, Samson was a picture of disobedient Israel, and we can still learn from him, as we will see, as as what what he means for the people of God, he is also here the picture, and I'd say primarily the picture of the great deliverer who defeats the enemies of God even in his own death. So tonight we're going to consider two things. First, the um, first as we look at the end of Samson's life, we're going to consider his humiliation, and then his final victory. Uh, so, verses twenty-three to twenty-seven, we have uh, it laid out for us what we can call Samson's humiliation. And Samson's humiliation is especially marked out by false worship, not by Samson, but by the Philistines. The Philistines are over the moon. Right? They, they're so excited to capture their great enemy, uh, which is not Israel, but Samson, the man. They call him the ravager of their country. And, to, and who gave them that victory, you ask? Well, Dagon, of course. Uh, Dagon was the primary god of the Philistines. He has a long history, stretching back roughly a thousand years prior to the exodus. Uh, the earliest traces of Dagon as a deity that was worshipped go back to roughly 2500 B.C. Uh, he is, uh, as best we can figure out, uh, Dagon was some sort of agricultural deity, um, although he has long been associated with fish. For, uh, and, and if you see depictions of Dagon, he looks kind of like a half-man, half-fish thing. And, uh, but he seems to be some kind of agricultural deity, as far as we can tell. In the ancient world, ancient deities were essentially landlocked. They were associated with particular places and land. And so when the Philistines moved into their territory, they essentially adopted Dagon as their god. Uh, But the question is, has Dagon won this grand victory for them? Well, as Christians, we, we know the answer is no. The average Jewish person or Israelite reading this text would say, no, Dagon didn't do that. The Lord did that. Right? But the Philistines are giving uh, the worship of the Lord and his praise to uh, an apparition, an illusion, at the very best, a demon. And so it is, it is the case that the discipline of God's people can often be interpreted as victory for unbelievers. The discipline of God's people by God can often be interpreted as victory for unbelievers over the church. It is true today, we see, when the chickens have come home to roost in many evangelical churches and even evangelical ministries where scandals have been revealed and ugly truths have come to light. Now when scandals are uh, finally dealt with and the ugliness that has been hidden are brought into the light, the church is humiliated before the world, Uh, the enemies of the church like to crow and declare that the church is now dead in the water. Finally, everyone sees what these Christians are really about, who they really are. Or like um, but the church knows better than that. God may humble his church. He may discipline his church, but he will not abandon his church. He is committed by Jesus and the Spirit to present the church to himself in perfected glory. So on the one hand, it is right to be disturbed, outraged, and sorrowful when the church of Christ 
is exposed in scandal, when there are heinous sins within the church. We should be angry and upset about those things and, and commit ourselves to take the necessary steps to expunge evil from, the mit, from our midst. But as the church, we do not despair. Rather, rather, we repent, even if we repent in dust and ashes, because we know our God will restore. When I was an intern, um, my internship, I'd like to say we had two, I had two internships. I was an intern for over two and a half years. I was, and so the first, for, for the first year, we had, I, had, I had a pastor who was mentoring me and five ruling elders on our session, and things were going okay. And then after a year, no teaching elder, no pastor, and only two ruling elders. Two of them resigned. The other one was excommunicated as a registered sex offender. So that's my internship. And, uh, and it was all kinds of ugliness, all kinds of stuff. You name it, I, I pretty much saw it in that internship. But I remember a conversation I had after, after it was after the, the pastor had been ousted, after, the, after the, um, uh, all that nastiness had come out, and then there was like a split. <laughs> so like a third of the church left off. After that, I remember talking to someone and a member of the church, and they said, what in the world are we going to do? And I said, because we're in a small town, everybody knows what's going on now. <laughs> you know, and so we go, it can't get any worse. It literally cannot get really, now it can always get worse, but, but it really can't get much worse than what we're at. And so let's hope in the gospel Let's, let's start picking up the pieces. Let's follow the Lord Jesus. The, the mission hasn't changed. You know, the mission continues to make disciples and to teach those disciples to obey the commandments of Christ. It doesn't change. And so, and we are just so, and so we need to remember that, that, that even when it goes bad, even when it goes bad, uh, God does not abandon his church. And that even, even churches that struggle, that go through um, uh, strife and problems can come back. They can be strengthened. Even our own church is a testimony of that. And so we see the enemies of God here in their false worship, the Philistines worshiping Dagon, attributing the works of the Lord to Dagon. And, but we also see in verses 25 to 27 how they're preparing for their own destruction. Uh, they, they gather uh, uh, the top crust of the Philistines together. This is the elite. All, there, there's five major cities uh, in there, and, and, they, and the lords of the five major cities are the rulers of the Philistines. So this is, this is like gathering all the national leaders into one location, which is usually not a good idea. Okay? But that's what they do. They're so excited. Um, and so the, the entire elite governing body of a country is in one spot. And they want some entertainment, and so they demand Samson to come out. Now, for some reason, people think uh, when they say entertainment that Samson had to come out and do a little jig for them and do a little dance. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get the, I get the sense the Philistines were a bit more cruel than that. And uh, my sense is that they're. Uh, I remember that it was a story of um, Eric Little, you know, the one who run who ran the. That the Olympics and he wouldn't race on the Sabbath and things like that. We know about that part, but then, um, but not as many people know that he died in a concentration camp uh, and, and during 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 the World War. Uh, and uh, and what one of the things they would do in the concentration camp is they would make him race 
uh, the, the other, his Japanese um, persecutors, uh, uh, the prison guards, and lose. Right? Because they wanted to humiliate him. Here's an Olympic runner, and I beat him. Ha, ha, ha. You know? And so this idea, and so um, basically my understanding is that they would, I mean, these are the guys that went, the first thing they did with Sanchez, is they took his eyes out. So I don't think they're going to be happy with just him just doing a little dance. So probably taking advantage of his blindness, you know, making him stumble around, you know, punching him, hitting him, you know, things like that, uh, tormenting him for the entertainment uh, of uh, who, the man they called the ravager of their country. And Samson can only do what he's forced to do. He is at the mercy of the Philistines, and they don't have him. Well, after his humiliation before the crowd, Samson asks to lean against one of the central pillars. Uh, and, uh, and this brings up, so what's the deal with the roof? Like, how is it that he knocks out two pillars and the whole thing comes tumbling down? We don't have a lot of archaeological data about how these, how these temples were designed. There has been a recent discovery um, uh, into, of, of an ancient temple, and so they've got maybe some idea of how it is, but it's still hard to know exactly. But uh, it, is, uh, it is understood that you can have these pillars, and they are crucial to the central part of, and especially if you have a couple of thousand people on the roof, if you take out the central support, well, then, you know, the, the weight of the people is, it, is going to bring everything else down. So, uh, uh, and so the, the temples, though, the, the pillars themselves would not have been stone pillars. They would have had a stone base, and then they, and the rest would have been made of wood. And so they'd have wood pillars uh, as well. But, I mean, regardless, it still, still takes superhuman strength to knock them down. Uh, and we'll get to the miraculous things that Samson does here, um, but just for a moment, I want us to just consider and dwell on how the Philistines have set up their own destruction. Some, some have balked at the idea that the Philistines would let Samson's hair grow back, uh, but, uh, but I would just simply consider that, let's consider that as far as, far as they, they care, they, they see he's defeated. He's beaten they got him. The gouge out his eyes. He's helpless. He has, apparently hasn't shown any super strength over uh, maybe at least a couple of months while he's been in their cap- captive. He's done. And so they can do with him what they will. He has been defeated by their god, Dagon. This is the proof. Look at Samson. They believe what they want to believe. But what they didn't realize, that it was actually the Lord God of the Israelites who had handed over his own servant, certainly as a result of his own foolishness and sin, but also so that he would do one final blow against the Philistines. So the Philistines have set up their own destruction, the destruction of their own ruling class, which, when they are destroyed, will begin to break the stranglehold that they have over Israel and, and we know that later, David, the king, will finish it. He will finally break the Philistines. And this brings us to the humiliation of the deliverer. Because as we look at the humiliation of Samson, the deliverer of Israel, it is right to have our minds wander to the humiliation of the true deliverer, Jesus Christ. Samson is a judge, and he is a type of deliverer to come who will save his people. But just as a David is a type of Christ, there are limits to where the type ends and the real thing begins. And so, uh, and so David, for instance, like, like King David, he was king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. 
It is indeed the son of David who will be the deliverer, but we also know that David was an adulterer and a murderer. Um, Samson, for his part, was well described by one scholar as a man who was called by grace, bound by vow, repeatedly empowered by God, greatly gifted, yet faithless, self-indulgent, and only too ready to fraternize with the enemy. But in Christ, there is no duality there. There is no complexity there. Christ never, never disregarded uh, the, the, the command of the Father upon him. He never sinned against his calling. There was no vow that Christ ever broke. No sin he ever committed in thought, word, or deed. If there was a, you know, there was a duality in Christ, but that was simply the perfection of his humanity uh, in, in touch with the, the, the perfection of his divinity <laughs> in, this, in this union of his two natures. That's, if you want to talk about duality in Christ. But Christ did suffer. He was humiliated, first not by the enemies of God's people, but by God's people themselves, the Israelites, the Jews. It was they who beat him who mocked him, commanding him to prophesy while they struck him. And then he was handed over to the Romans, who also mocked him and beat him and whipped him and and then finally crucified him and killed him. Indeed, we have a suffering and humiliated Savior in Jesus Christ. And so in Samson's suffering and humiliation, we do rightly see the humiliation of our own Savior. But then we also, in verses 28 to 31, we see Samson's final victory. And this, this is what I can only call a mixed miracle as we think about it. Samson kicks off with a prayer, and he prays a very Israelite prayer. He uses three different names for God. He uses Adonai, Yahweh, and the general term El, which means God. And, uh, and so he prays a very Israelite prayer. And if you're looking at English Bibles, lowercase Lord, uh, uh, capital L, lowercase letters, that's Adonai. And then the all caps G-O-D, God, and the ESV is Yahweh. I don't know why they did that, because they didn't want to put Lord, Lord there. I don't know. Anyway. But he is, uh, he is um, he's asking God to remember him, which is, uh, which is when, when anybody in the Bible prays to God to remember them. They're not asking for him to call them to mind. It's saying they're asking, praying for God to act on their behalf. That is what it means for the Lord to remember. And you know, and after, after 430 years, the Lord remembered Israel and the promises and the covenant that he made with Abraham. Like, did he actually remember that he didn't forget, right? He, that he knew he was, it meant he was time to act. And so, it, so Samson prays for God to act on his behalf. He is an Israelite. He is the deliverer appointed by God to deliver his people. He asks for strength one last time, of the, not through his magical hair, right? He, he asks God to give him strength one more time because it is God who gives strength to his people. But we note his prayer is, is particularly not for Israel or for God's honor, but because he wants to avenge his eyes. That they took, and which of the eye gouging was representative of all the foul treatment he received from the Philistines. And so, you know, I, I was reading this and thinking about it. I was like, you know, leave it to Samson to complicate even his final prayer. You know those people who just like, they just, 
They can't just have a nice, clean conversation. They've got to throw something in there to kind of just mix it all up, right? That's, that's how Samson is. He is not concerned for God's honor. He's not concerned about the false worship of the, of, of the god Dagon. Samson wants revenge for those who did him great harm. But, despite that, we note that God says yes. Samson takes out the primary supports in the center of the building, and the whole thing collapses, uh, killing thousands, uh, presumably, and, uh, and the whole temple of Dagon comes crashing down. And so in, in that moment, there is an encouragement for us and a truth that we need to ponder. And so first, uh, there, the encouragement for us is to pray. The encouragement is to pray no matter where we find ourselves in life. That, that even if we find ourselves with our eyes gouged out as a prisoner of the enemy, we can still pray and the Lord will hear us. The Lord hears his people. He is near to his people. Even in the depths of the, of the, of the, uh, the, of, of the consequences of our own sins and failures, after such a wasteful life, even as Samson lived, God heard his prayer. And God would hear our prayers. In saying this, I'm not encouraging us to pray regularly for vengeance upon our enemies. Uh, um, although that is a valid prayer to pray at times. The Psalms actually model it for us. But I am saying that when, uh, when we have run off course by our own disobedience, and we find ourselves in terrible circumstances, uh, then that we can still pray. And we can still have confidence that God will hear us. Our God is always near to his people. And if we cry out to him, he will help us. That is the encouragement. The truth we need to ponder here is also that is, is a severe one. Is that God is zealous for his own worship. And he will not allow his praises to go to Dagon, the non-existent. And so he brings judgment on the Philistines, not only for their mistreatment of Samson and Israel, but for their false worship. God answers Samson's prayer for vengeance, not simply because he wants to give, give, throw a bone to Samson, but because it coincided with his own purposes in worship and judgment. And this is where we, you know, one of our testimonies as a church, as, as the people of God to the world is, don't take God's silence or the fact that he's not sending the lightning yet to mean that he is approving of sin. That he is approving of the rejection of his truth. That he's approving of these things. As said, you know, I've, I think I mentioned before, at the end of Psalm 50, it's one of the most terrifying parts of the Bible where, where God says, you know, Watch out, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart. Because that's what's going to happen in the final judgment. And so we see, that, but we see here that in the last act, Samson leaves behind not only this mixed miracle, indeed a miracle, but also a mixed legacy. Uh, in verses, the end of verse 30 and verse 31 is where we're looking at right now. The end of verse 30 reads in a, in a bittersweet fashion that Samson killed more of Israel's enemies in his death than in his life. 
It is better. It's a bitter statement because Samson represents so much wasted potential. Um, uh, it, the, um, there's these posters these, that I always loved, the, the demotivational posters. Have you all seen some of these? Um, it's been a while, so but they're still around. But there was, you know, it, it's the ones that have like, you know, if you work in the business corporate office, they usually have these motivational posters that have like eagles and there's like says like teamwork at the bottom, you know. So, well, well, there's this is like the opposite of that. So these are just jokes. And so there's a picture. Uh, there's one that had a picture of the Titanic, and it said, and it said, it could be the only purpose of your life is to serve as a warning for others. <laughs> and just, I told you they're demotivational posters. <laughs> but it, but it just but there is a there is a way in which Samson warns us. He warns us of of of, uh, of this because it, he has so much wasted potential. Only the Lord knows what he could have done if he had actually stuck to his Nazarite vows. If he had not been ruled by his carnal appetites and lusts and desires. If he had sought the Lord in his word and deed, what could Samson have accomplished? What could he have done? He did great things. But what could he have done? But it is also a sweet note. Because Samson, he went out as he lived. A consuming fire that consumed everyone around him, even himself. Jack London would have been proud. Samson went out as ashes, not dust. But finally, we are told that Samson's family came and buried him in the tomb of Manoah, which is east of his hometown. So you got Philistia, and then, and then Samson's kind of like over here. That's where his hometown is. And then it's kind of a little bit over is where Samson's buried. And we are told for the second time that Samson judged Israel 20 years. And so here was a man who accomplished great feats of strength, indeed, in fact, miraculous deeds by divine power and did indeed begin to deliver the people of God from the enemy. And though he was defeated, in the end, he snatched victory even in his death, bringing critical devastation to the enemy. Even in his death, he brought defeat to his enemies. And this points us once again, to Christ, to a clear Savior. The author, he was rightly named Samson as, in, in chapter 11 as one of the men who achieved great deeds by faith. Even the last thing he did alone merits his name to be entered into, into that chapter. It could only be by faith and the power of God that Samson accomplished all these things. But Samson points forward to another greater Deliverer, who by his own death would achieve victory for his people. And there's a lot of passages we could go to about this, but a great one is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where the author says, Jesus himself partook of the same things, the flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This verse hits the highlights for us. That Jesus in his death brought about two things. First, he brought about the destruction of the devil. 
And secondly, he brought about the deliverance of those who were enslaved to sin and death and even the fear of death. It is by the death and resurrection of Christ that we, that, that we, that we can see that, that the victory of Jesus. And we sing about the victory of Jesus when we have funerals. Why we have confidence to, that we will go to be with him in glory. Why? Because he has destroyed the power of the devil and the power of death over his people in his death. And even more, he is much greater than Samson, not only in his character, but in his ability that he was raised from the dead. And so we see here the conclusion of Samson's life, that he is a complex individual. And when everything considered, he leaves behind a complex legacy. Yet we have to be careful to understand that some things weigh heavier than others. While Samson had serious character flaws, he was God's instrument of deliverance for his people. Just as David had great character flaws, but he was considered and is still considered, apart from Jesus, the greatest king of Israel. Even greater than Solomon who came after him. David was the standard. Samson did great deeds of faith. And in his final moments, he brings an encouragement to us as God's people to persevere in prayer, even when we have committed great sins and failures. But most of all, Samson points us to Jesus to the perfect deliverer, who in his own humiliation gained the victory that we need, gained the deliverance we need, that by the mercy of God, we may live with him in the freedom of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Samson. That even when your Servants are deeply flawed, even as we are. When your servants make great errors and even great sins, that there is mercy for your servants. And we are grateful for that, because we need it. We confess, Father, that we identify too readily with Samson, with the the desire to follow the, the flesh, to follow in the way of the world, to only give you a pittance of our, of our love and worship. To only give you as much as, as we must. And Lord, we do repent of that. We confess it. And Father, we pray uh, that you would lead us to greater joyful obedience. To your word, to your truth. That we may, that we may not walk in the same way that Samson did. But Lord... We do pray that we would walk in the way of Samson, in the way of faith, in the way of trust, in knowing that you will be with us, that you will hear us, that you will answer us when we cry out, that you will strengthen and empower us to do the work you've called us to do. And Lord, we thank you for the one to whom Samson points, the greater deliverer, the greatest deliverer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who in his death destroyed the power of the devil, destroyed the power of death over us, that though we may even in this life die physically, we will not die spiritually. Death is not forever. And we will 
not only be with you in spirit, but we will be with you and your Son in resurrection, life, and glory in the kingdom of God forever. Lord, may we be comforted and strengthened in these truths. May we take them with us as we seek to walk by faith and love and spread the love of Christ throughout our community and, Father, through the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.